Good morning again. Christmas is, is funny. I feel like when I was a kid, Christmas could never get here quick enough. It always felt like it was this, this holiday that just never seemed to get here. You would look forward to it all year long. And now as an adult, as you stare back or as you think about the fall, I, I can't even imagine that Christmas is already here, that we're just seven days away and it feels like we just started the fall and here we are already. It's easy to get lost in this Christmas season. And so again, as, as Russ prayed and, and spoke about, we're hoping that we slow down just, just enough to really take in the Christmas story. So we're going to again look at the Christmas story today and uh, look at it from a couple of different perspectives. I love this time of year for a number of reasons, and some of you may identify with some of these. Uh, I, I love this time of year because it's a time where my family comes around, that my wife, whether we're spending time with her family, spending time with my family, it's just good to be near people that live out of town. I love the season because of the food. I love the season because of the songs, all the tradition. It just is a, it's a really um, endearing, heartwarming, wonderful, wonderful time. Do people kind of resonate with that? People generally kind of like this season. I love the season for another reason, and it's, it's because usually around the middle of December, top 10 lists begin to come out that look back on the past year. How many people know what I'm talking about here? Yeah, so it'll be like the top 10 biggest grossing movies from last year. And they, they put together these lists and they compile all these things. And I get sucked into reading these things. You go to msn.com or any website, links to it, and then you find yourself that one linking to another one, the top 10 pictures of this last year that Time does or the top 10 whatever. I mean, there's a thousand different lists that come out. I love these things. Um, one that I find really, really interesting is the top 10 Google searches, the most searched for items over the course of last year. Who, let's, let's yell out some ideas. Who thinks they know what the top, one of the top 10? Justin Bieber. You know what? I actually don't think he made the list. Uh, Justin Bieber was top one of, in the top 10 celebrity searches, but not top 10 searches overall. What else? Steve Jobs, number 10. Uh, Kim Kardashian, no. Royal Wedding was in there. Uh, I think that was number... No, actually, that one is not in there. Janet Jackson? Michael Jackson. <laughs> it's like Janet Jackson. <laughs> Awesome. Uh, no, Michael Jackson was not in there. Lady Gaga, no. You guys, this is crazy. Hurricane Irene was one of them. Osama Bin Laden, Adele, Casey Anthony, iPhone 5. Pinterest was one of them. Pinterest, yeah, Google+. Plus. The number one, the number one search for item, though, is fascinating to me. Rebecca Black. How many people know who Rebecca Black is without hearing that song? If you're under 32 years old, you probably know it. If you're over, chances are you may not know it. Rebecca Black is this young gal who uh, did this. She became a YouTube sensation because she sang this Friday song, and it's this kind of ridiculous video. And she was the number one searched for item on Google. Little known fact, and I heard this, that song was actually written by a Whitworth student. Do people know that? Yeah, that's crazy. That's, that's a fact I heard last service. So... Crazy, though, is, I mean, you got to admit, that's crazy that that's the number one search for item over the year. Other top ten lists come out as well. So Barbara Walters usually does her special around this time of the most fascinating people. Time Magazine releases their person of the year. This year, their person of the year is the protester, which is interesting. Gives you a whole different perspective of what's been happening over the last year. I get sucked into these top ten lists because... At some level, these things have shaped me. These are cultural things that have played out over the last year, and at some level, they've shaped me. They've influenced me. They, they 
help me to understand who I am and, and why the last year has affected me in the way that it has. So I kind of get sucked into reading these things because they are interesting. They change the way that I understand our culture, understand my place in our culture. Now, in a similar way, and at the same time that these top ten lists come out for the, for the following, or for the past year, top ten lists come out for the year coming. These lists are the lists that you go to to see what are going to be the biggest movies that are going to come out, the most anticipated movies, or whose album is going to drop in this next year that, that most people are excited for. Big recording artists that have already scheduled the time that they're going to release the album and, and people begin to read about these, review the album, and so forth. Even cultural trends begin to come out. What, what do sociologists or think tank people get together and what do they begin to say, this will be a trend that we see coming in the next year? So I love these, these top ten lists that begin to come out. And, and for the, the ones that look forward, that project forward, it's interesting because these lists begin to build anticipation. They provide a glimpse of maybe what I can expect to come in the next year, and they, they ultimately influence me as well. They influence me maybe in the way that a movie's coming out, and so I go, and this, this year or before that movie comes out, I watch the movie that preceded that one. Or a new album is going to come out, and so I've never heard of that artist, and so I go and listen to some of their previous music. And so these lists also influence us, and we would be silly if we just said that culture doesn't influence us at some level. It does. These lists, both that look back and project forward, are subtle ways in which we understand our story in the midst of the broader story, but also in the way that we are shaped for the future. And I think the Christmas story is similar in that way. The Christmas story, it's important that we both understand the story in a looking backward, as in looking at a top ten list from the past year, but also in a looking forward, as in a top ten list for the coming year. You see, we need to read and study the Christmas story in ways that not only change our understanding of the history of our faith, in ways that help us to remember God's accomplished plan of salvation through the birth and person of Jesus Christ, but also that we read and study in ways that shape the future of our faith, recognizing that the incarnation actually holds truth for us today, tomorrow, and every day beyond that. So I want to explore, once again, the Christmas story from that perspective, both looking backward but also looking forward. And I want to do it by looking at the two names that Jesus is given in the Christmas story. Let me read Matthew 1, 18 through 25, if you want to follow along. This is what the scripture says. Now the birth of Jesus Christ was as follows. When his mother, Mary, had been betrothed to Joseph, before they came together, she was found to be with child by the Holy Spirit. And Joseph, her husband, being a righteous man and not wanting to disgrace her, planned to send her away secretly. But when he had considered this, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream, saying, Joseph, son of David, do not be afraid to take Mary as your wife, for the child who has been conceived in her is of the Holy Spirit. She will bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. Now all this took place to fulfill what was spoken by the Lord through the prophet Behold, the virgin shall be with child and shall bear a son, and they shall call his name 
Emmanuel, which translated means God with us. And Joseph awoke from his sleep and did as the angel of the Lord commanded him and took Mary as his wife, but kept her a virgin until she gave birth to a son. And he called his name Jesus. So when I read this, the first thing that jumped out to me was that Jesus is really given two names in this passage. He's given the name Jesus, Yeshua, which means God saves. The scripture says, she will bear a son and you shall call his name Jesus. But he's also given the name Emmanuel, meaning God with us. The scripture says, the virgin shall be with child and bear a son and you shall call his name Emmanuel. These two names are important. And I think it's critical that we understand the two names in order to fully grasp or move towards fully grasping the incarnation. One of these names serves as the anchor of our faith, settled deep into the history of our faith and in the stories that play out all around us. That name shows us who God is. The other propels forward our faith. It's what moves us as a community outward, and it shows us what God does. You see, not only did God come to save, but he also came to be with us. So Jesus, the name meaning God saves, this name reminds us who God is. It reminds us that Jesus came in a certain time, in a certain place, in a certain context to save all of humanity. Emmanuel, meaning God with us, as a name, reminds us what God does. It reminds us that Emmanuel did not only come in a certain certain time, a certain place, in a certain context, and stay there, but actually moves forward with us. He is God with us. And so we need to understand these two names in order to fully grasp the incarnation. It's the beauty and the mystery of the incarnation. There's nothing I could say this morning that, that would make us fully comprehend the mystery of it, but beginning to understand these two names gets us closer. We're going to first look at the name Jesus, God saves. Similar to the way that I look back over the trends from the previous year, how they've shaped me in my current context, the name Jesus or God saves is really looking back at the importance of the incarnation in the Christmas story. For the Jews at that time, it was the promise of the Messiah But for us, it's the promise that God saves. It shows us who God is. His very function is to save humanity. And so that is the function, the first function of the incarnation. It's easy to say and to pass off, and during Christmas we sing songs about it, and I think oftentimes we get in conversations about it, but do we really recognize that? Do we really understand how important, how critical That is, that God humbled himself to come as a baby so as to save us. That first name, Jesus, the first name given, means that God saves. The incarnation really is a a remarkable rescue story. We could not be rescued by a distant God. It wouldn't have worked. God had to actually come down to earth in the form of a baby in order to fully rescue us. Similar to, if you want to think about it in this way, when the Coast Guard receives a mayday from a sunken ship or a ship that's going down, 
And the people in their distress yell out for help, saying, come rescue us. The Coast Guard doesn't just say, well, if you begin to swim east, you will eventually hit land. No, a group of people, men and women, are mobilized to get on a boat or get in a helicopter and go and jump into the icy waters and actually rescue those people. They have to enter the situation in order to fully rescue those people. A couple weeks ago, I was watching my son. Uh, he's one years old. My wife was with our, with our other two. And so I was there, and we have this little toy chest in our front room, and I often will open this toy chest. And he's, um, he's just moving around pretty good, but not quite walking. And so he'll prop himself up there and play with toys, and sometimes he crawls into it, and then he can crawl back out. And he's, he's really good around this, this little toy chest. And so I left the room for like just 45 minutes or so, no, I, I mean, I literally walked in to the kitchen for about 30 seconds and came right back out. And the, the room, they're adjoining, so I, wasn't, I was within earshot just to make sure you guys aren't freaked out by my parenting. And I heard, him, I heard him squawk and cry, but it was kind of muffled, and I knew what had happened. And I walked in into the, into the room, and I could just, I mean, the, the lid had closed on him, and you could just kind of see his little eyes peering out. And he was freaked out. And he's, he's crying out, rescue me, rescue me. Obviously not saying that, but as a baby, feeling this, this, I need rescue, I need help. Now, what I didn't do is I didn't stand in the kitchen and just say, hey, Kempton, if, if you just use your shoulder strength and push up, you'll get out of the toy chest, no problem. I didn't take time just to write a diagram and then slip it in the crack and say, just follow this diagram and, and you'll be able to get yourself out. No, like any parent, you run into the room you open the toy chest, you grab them, you hold them, you comfort them. I had to enter the situation in order to fully rescue him. God came to earth fully man, and yet fully God entered our circumstances, entered our world, entered the messiness of our lives so that he could save us. It really is the greatest rescue story. And it starts on Christmas. And that's what we celebrate. We celebrate the fact that God saves. That he humbled himself to come as a baby so as to save us. I think we need to pause there for a moment and worship just over that. There's other elements to the incarnation, and, and we'll, we'll talk about that in a moment. I'll come back up and, and speak to this idea of Emmanuel. The worship man's going to come back up. And I, I just want to challenge you, just worship the, the fact that God saves, that Jesus came in that way, and that we need to sometimes just pause, recognize the importance that Jesus came to save us that we celebrate the fact that he came to reconcile, to redeem, to restore, and that we celebrate that on Christmas. Isn't that line in O Holy Night where it says, fall on your knees? Isn't that powerful? I don't know if we do that enough. I don't know if I do that enough to fall on our knees before the king, recognizing that he saves. He came to save. It's important to celebrate that aspect 
of the Christmas story. That through the incarnation, the subsequent death of Jesus Christ, we are all saved. And we celebrate that on Christmas. But if we only celebrate that piece, then I think we miss another element of the Christmas story that is critically important. If we only understand Christmas as the day that Jesus was born, that God's plan to save humanity began to unfold, if that's all we celebrate, we miss the aspect that God is with us as well, that he is Emmanuel. He was given that second name because he goes with us. Advent, the season of Advent, the holiday of Christmas, it's not simply a celebration of the past or a looking backward. It's also preparation and anticipation for what God is doing right here in our midst and what he will do when he comes again. God with us. Similar to the way that I love the top ten lists that I look back on, I also love those lists that I look forward to. They allow me to see what is to come. They plant seeds of anticipation, and over time, that anticipation builds and ultimately, again, influences the way I act. I'll go and see a movie I may not have. I'll listen to a new recording artist I may not have. It's similar in that way that we have to understand Christmas, too, that it's not just something we look back on, but it's something we look forward to. Let me say it this way. How many people are familiar with the uh, TV series Arrested Development? It's, it's a phenomenal TV series. It is a cult classic. Um, it was only on the air for three years. Ended in 2006 because people just couldn't watch it. It's so intricate and ridiculous <laughs> that if you jumped in on episode three, you had no idea what was going on and you could never catch up. And so, therefore, it just wasn't a great uh, TV series to have on TV. People couldn't jump in on season two and really have an idea of what was going on. Um, they just recently released, um, the, the producer and, and director just recently made the statement that they're actually going to reboot the series. They're going to release 10 new episodes that will lead in to a movie that's going to come out. There should be a round of applause now from those people who have seen it. <laughs> So this is on many of the lists for the next coming year as a top 10 film that, that people are anticipating to see. And it may not actually be this year, it may be the year following, but this tends to be one of, the, uh, one of the movies that's on one of those lists. What can we look forward to? What can we anticipate? Arrested Development, the new, the new series or the new uh, TV component of it, the 10 episodes being one element, but then also the movie, saying that this is, this is something to anticipate, to look forward to. I think we understand Christmas in a similar way. That it's something that we have to be anticipate about, that we have to be in preparation for the fact that Christmas isn't just something we celebrate that happened in the past, but it's happening now because God is with us. And that it changes everything for our future. Now you might think I've come dangerously close to compare the incarnation to Arrested Development. And I have. <laughs> I'm walking that line very sensitively. But I use this analogy to say, just like we would look forward to a movie coming out, that anticipation would build, that we begin to prepare for it, 
that is what Christmas has to be as well. It can't just be a celebration of what happened. It has to be a celebration of what is happening and what will happen because he is Emmanuel. He is God with us. God is not simply a God that saves. The incarnation was not only about God saving us. It's not just a birth that we celebrate. The incarnation is also about God coming down, living among us, living with us, and going with us. We have to celebrate that equally in the way that we celebrate the fact that God saves He was not only God with them in that time, but he is God with us in our time. He is Emmanuel, God with us, here, now. And that should give us pause. It's critically important that we celebrate this element when we think about Christmas as well, that we worship Emmanuel. And this doesn't only have to be during the Christmas season. We really only talk about Emmanuel during Christmas. We only really sing songs about Emmanuel during Christmas, but we should be singing this in the month of March and in July, recognizing that the incarnation means that God is with us now. I found this quote from uh, Albert Edward Day, and it says this, but God is present in reality no matter what unreality our practices and our ponderings imply. He is forever trying to establish communication, forever aware of the wrong directions we are taking and wishing to warn us, forever offering solutions for the problems that baffle us, forever standing at the door of our loneliness, eager to bring us such camaraderie as the most intelligent living mortal could not supply, forever clinging to our indifference in the hope that someday our needs, or at least our tragedies, will awaken us to respond to his advances. The real presence is just that, real and life-transforming. Nor are the conditions for the manifestations of his splendors out of reach for any of us. Here they are, otherness, openness, obedience, obsession. The real presence is just that, real and life-transforming. Because he is Emmanuel, that should transform our lives. I have a friend in our small group. We were discussing the idea of the Incarnation last Wednesday. And he made the statement that the incarnation really is a game changer. It changes everything. What he meant by that was, if we really believe that God is with us, then our entire lives should reflect this belief. It should change everything about our lives to understand that Jesus is actually with us in our midst. You see, it's one thing to believe that he came, One thing to recognize him as the Savior. One thing to even just give him our gifts as the Magi did. But it's an entirely different thing to live as if you were living with him. Those things are different, and we need to recognize that. On the first Sunday of Advent, our community actually came forward in response to the Incarnation. We said, the incarnation is so critical, it's so important that it demands a response. You can't just hear the fact that God is with us and not respond to that. And so as a community, we all had little cards, and and if you were here, you'll know what I'm talking about. If you weren't, let me lay it out. We, We were all given these little cards, and we said, write down, what is your response to the incarnation? What does that mean for you 
this Christmas season and beyond this Christmas season. Some people wrote uh, things that they wanted to offer before the Lord, before the King. Some people said, I just need to confess, and so I'm going to write my confession on here. But, but we all came forward offering the King something, recognizing that the Incarnation demands a response from us at some level. You can't just passively hear the Christmas story and walk away unchanged. The Incarnation undergirds everything we believe. And so as a faith community, this is what we said. I want to give to a family in need. I want to forgive. I want to trust. I want to open my home. I want to get rid of selfishness. I want to be present with my wife, my kids. This was the way that our community responded. The things we brought to the king to say, this is what the incarnation is making me do. This is how I'm responding to the reality of you coming, Jesus. The video represents what we offered to the king. Some were gifts, some were confession, but all were offered in the way of saying, this is how I, this is how we are responding to the Christmas story this year, to the incarnation. And just like the Magi brought gifts, we came with our gifts. But similar to the way For the Magi, it didn't end with just them presenting their gifts. It can't just end with us presenting our gifts either. You see, they offer their gifts, and then at the end of that story, chapter 2, verses 12, there's this interesting little note there, this, this line, and it says this, Having been warned by God in a dream not to return to Herod, the Magi left for their own country by another way. I think it's easy just to read this and kind of skip over it. But isn't it interesting that they went home a different way? Isn't it interesting that they met Jesus Christ? They saw the incarnate Lord. They were at the feet of Emmanuel. And then they go home a different way. It changed their lives so much so that they traveled by another route. I think that's really significant. I think when we truly are at the foot of the king, when we recognize that God saves and also God is with us, it changes everything. It may seem insignificant, that that little half verse right there, but I think it's powerful. I think it speaks to us that if we truly see Jesus for who he is and for what he does, we will go home a different way. We will leave this space different. The Advent is not only the celebration of a God who came, a God who saves, but it's a God who is here now with us. Christmas is not only a time that we're reminded that Jesus saves, but also that Jesus is with us. And therefore, I don't think our lives can help but be changed in that, if we truly recognize that, if we truly trust that. We started... Advent season by talking about this camera. And so a camera that takes different photos, and once the photo is taken, you can actually press on the screen where you want that photo to focus. So you can have the the photo focus on something in the foreground, but then have the photo focus at something in the background. It's an incredible piece of technology. And we said, what if Christmas was like this for us this season, where we begin to focus on different aspects of the Christmas story? 
hoping that when you focus in different areas, the whole story kind of comes together. You get a better grasp of the whole story. And so we've been doing that. We've tried to focus on different aspects of the Christmas story. In line with this analogy that we've played out with the camera, I I found this, and I I think it's uh, helpful for this morning. It says this, Although Jesus has given us the photograph of the Father in the Gospels, the mystery, the unknowing of God remains. We see, and yet we do not see. We become acquainted, and yet we still need to become further acquainted. We know, but we are still very ignorant. It is a photograph that we were able and unable to see. It depends on you. You are the camera, able to fix inside yourself what you see and what you don't see in the Gospels, and thus to make a photograph of your own. You know that the power of fixing an image in the soul depends on the Holy Spirit, who is love, who alone is able to make that photograph in proportion to your intimacy with him. This is how we wanted to understand the Christmas story. To remember that in the incarnation, we only don't celebrate the fact that he saves, but that we can have intimacy with him here and now because he is Emmanuel. That he will go with us into mission. That he came to rescue us from something, but that he also came to rescue us for something. And we are redeemed and reconciled. And so my challenge to you, my challenge to myself this morning is that we fix our images, our photographs of the Christmas story of the incarnation on both the fact that God saves, that he is Jesus, but that he is also God with us, Emmanuel. Christ has no body now on earth but yours, no hands but yours, no feet but yours. Yours are the eyes through which is to look out Christ's compassion to the world. Yours are the feet with which he is to go about doing good. Yours are the hands with which he is to bless now.